0: This feels like we really set up quick, and I'm like, am I ready? Am I emotionally prepared? And the answer is always no. Always Um, Give me
1: two seconds, actually. Truly? Darkly?
0: Is Top Rock a TV show? Yeah. And, and it's it a procedural, like, but a musical?
1: Yes, and all the music numbers are that good. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, do <you>, do, <laughs> Can
0: you believe it? All the music numbers are that good. And I love um, that
1: you could say baby that. Baby, Merchant, merchant sorry. I give you all the baby and, and no fuss. fuss. <laughs> I
0: Cop Rock. The, the John nine, Oliver turned the me on to a making fun 90s, of this video. my God, like what a time to be alive. It's incredible. What a time to be alive. I think I did I miss it? Did I miss yes. when I would have made it?
1: Yes. You'd have been a star on Cop Rock. Cop Rock. i have a recurring role. Oh yeah. What would you who would you be? A detective.
0: Wow! Thank Detective you so Puma. much. Oh, well, I use like, my real name in this show. I gotta
1: solve the crime. I've gotta do the time. I just wanted to be solve then, this tricky, tricky crime. And then I would have started dating the bass player
0: who made the music, and he and I would have had just like this beautiful life together. And our kids would wear, you know, scrunchies in the hair and tie their shirts up in the waistband and wear biker shorts, and we would go on family bike rides in our tandem bike together. You know, I think that's
1: you what were my real I was
0: born. In the wrong fucking time.
1: We'll find a time machine. We're doing so much research on things like time machines. Mm-hmm. We're sure to eventually find the person that <laughs> Could knows. Could you imagine how to me being this. like, I know
0: I want to go a time machine 10 years before I was born in the 80s? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're laughing, but where would you go? Women's rights have sucked all the time, so that's a
1: hard question.
0: I guess I would maybe do Roaring 20s. Oh, fun because I feel like you know that would be but fun to be in when New York.
1: Alcohol was illegal.
0: Yeah, but wasn't?
1: But was have to go it? drink it out of a teacup behind a secret door? But like you got like I guess we're doing that now. <laughs> so totally, like we're paying a like, lot more. A
0: way to do lot it. It. The growing twenties. The problem is, is then then you're like alive during the Great Depression and you're alive during like the forties and fifties. Seventies could be fun. I don't know. When would you go back?
1: Ooh. The '80s. I mean, I just love the '80s. I would just go back to my own childhood, but be a little but older, so I could oldest, appreciate can it appreciate it more. Appreciate it, fun. I mean, I loved growing up in the '80s. When year were you born? You know what's interesting? If you ask All right, someone, when did they the question? Yep, <laughs> <laughs> eighty-three. What's
0: your social security number?
1: <laughs> <A> five. Um, <laughs> you know what? If you look at my fake ID, you'll know because it's on there.
0: Um. Here's the thing. You did cr- cover that when you reposted it, didn't you? Yeah. Okay, good. Not with, like, like with your finger?
1: Uh, I annotated. Mm, noted. I did it the fancy way. Um, you can figure out sort of what a person's born by asking them, and this is a more fun way to do it. Like, who's your first crush that you remember having in, in terms of TV or movies? Like, with who's Young your Young worst? Young. Jenner from The Secret of Nim. The Rat. The bad guy rat. Like a rat? Like a cartoon? He was a cartoon rat, and I think his name was Jenner, and he was the bat, one of the bad guys in The Secret of Nim. So I had a crush on a bad guy that was I don't know any of those words that you rat. said. I don't know any of the don't words. You know The do... Secret of Nim? Quinn,
0: are you surprised? Incredible. Um, well, think I mean, about it. Like, right. I wouldn't, my parents wouldn't have up. shown me that. I'm trying to think of my first crush. I really do think it might, it was either JTT, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, or Devin Sawa.
1: Oh, weird. Not a cartoon?
0: If a cartoon, it might have been like Fievel Goes West. will. Oh, gross. But he's a rat, he's a mouse. But I'm only saying that because you said a rat, so I thought a mouse. Oh. I can't even but
1: say. But is like a baby. <gasps> Casper. Okay. Now Who we're turns getting somewhere. Into, well,
0: Casper turned, turned into Devon Sawa,
1: right? Okay. When did Casper. Casper come out? We were, I mean, that's a long time ago. I do
0: know where my first crush in kindergarten was this guy, Sean. I'll withhold his last name. But I had the biggest crush on this boy, Sean. He was so cute. And I think I've told this story in the podcast before, but it bears repeating. But I remember being in kindergarten being like, I have a crush. And he's like, who do you have a crush on? And I was like, I'm not telling. And he was like, tell me, tell me. And I whispered in his ear his own name and he just ignored me. He must have been the so rest confused. of the year. He was just—he was not having it.
1: Oh, I had a crush on Brad. I'll say his last name Griffith. And Brad wait a minute, Griffith, Brad Griffith. But you named your kid Griffin. Wow, the one that got away. Never thought. No, yeah. <laughs> Always have thought of him. Wow, since.
0: and Matt. Okay, Matt.
1: And Matt's finding out some new shit. Brad right now. had three girlfriends in kindergarten: me, Sarah, and Alex. And one time, we told him he had to say what order he liked us in. And who did you? Where did you? You, you first. Know where I fell. You're first. I was last. Sarah, then but you Alex, always talk about how popular you were. Not in kindergarten, apparently. I, okay, well, I dated the most popular guy in kindergarten, but I was his last favorite, which is very emblematic. That's of... really sweet that you said last favorite. <laughs> well, he liked me, but last.
0: Mm-hmm, he mm-hmm.
1: liked every. He liked his other two girlfriends better.
0: I dated. I ended up having. um, I ended up dating the guy that i had a crush on in kindergarten and fifth grade
1: mm-hmm.
0: and he didn't break up with me although he thought he did he gave me a what would you just do bracelet and <laughs> um <laughs> uh-huh. and he ended up dating this girl i knew like right after we were going to sixth grade and i got so mad at him that we went to snackers which was the local haunt from a junior high and he was dating this other girl and i got so mad that i grabbed a cup of water and i threw it in his face oh my god you were like I was like so a real drama. housewife I was so drama it's like I you was were like sixth prostitution oh pocket engaged 19 times no <laughs> I was like I I was talking I was like you cheated on me and he was like I broke up with you and I was like no you didn't and the way he broke up with me was I, th- I would love I th- what do you think about maybe if dating other people and I wrote back I don't like that idea and he thought that that was breaking up with me and I did not <laughs> Agree to that? Oh, I interesting. He was, like, I thought he was, like, posturing, like, maybe we should see other people. Like, fifth grade version of that. And I was, like, I thought about it, and I actually don't love that idea. So I didn't know we weren't still boyfriend and girlfriend. Which, by the way, boyfriend and girlfriend means you didn't talk. You just, like, maybe liked each other. And then he started seeing this other girl. And I was so mad that I threw water in his face. And then wow. that same week, this guy asked me out. I had a cast, and I was... I had a Meg Ryan haircut and some plastic glasses, and this guy asked me if I wanted to be his date to the Bulldog Ball, and his email, P.S., my email is ooey gooey stewey one.
1: <laughs> so many good details in this.
0: I was pretty dramatic uh, at 10 years old. <laughs> I was 10. 10. When I threw water, that was the first and only time I've thrown water in a man's face. But you know what? You gotta give it up for me. I peaked. I peaked in junior high so hard. And it's been horribly downhill since. I didn't like to kiss anyone. Like, like I was so afraid of you. touching boys that I was like, you know what? You should be. Still Awful. am. They're so gross. They're so gross.
1: <laughs> Tons of cooties.
0: Tons of cooties. It's been proven. In, in junior high, I had my first kiss. Did I tell you this story? And I hated it so much. I said, it felt like worms in my mouth. And I came home and I cried to my mom because I was forced to make out with my boyfriend at the time, and then I broke up with him the next day. It was awful. Wow, I just really dove into my own personal shit. By the way, you're listening to Truly. Darkly. Creepily.
1: Creepily. I'm Quinlan Plowser. And I'm Carrie Oppema. Welcome to the million billionth episode. We're just keep making episodes. We really do. Do you guys want us to stop? I mean, we'll do you want keep us, going, we're going to keep, keep going. We're going to keep going. It's the only thing that's holding this friendship together. Oh my God. Can I show you something? No. Speaking of holding things together, I can barely hold this marriage together because Matt has this habit. So I asked him, I said, I notice you've been doing something that's making me a little crazy and I have to talk about it so you can stop and I'll stop feeling crazy. You keep putting things back in the fridge, like a drop of milk in the milk thing. And I'll look in the fridge and know that there's no problem there's milk because who the hell would leave a drop of milk? And then I'll go to grab it and there is, I'm not talking about there's not enough for cereal, there's not enough for coffee. And I'm like, that's obscene, don't put that back in the fridge.
0: Or make a list, or like if you put something back, be like, oh we need more milk.
1: Don't put it back, it's like pranking me. And he does it with th- hummus, and I'll be, I'll look in and I'll think, oh, later I'm going to have a Don't hummus sandwich, whatever, because I see the jar of hummus. I will open it, and I'm not kidding when I say there will be a thin coating of hummus in the corner that you touch and then you can see the plastic. Like, nothing left. I'm not talking about just a little. I'm talking about it is empty, and you can maybe scrape a quarter teaspoon. If you work Look at it. Look at this picture. This, so I said that to him a few weeks ago. I opened the fridge today to make Koa's sandwich. Here's the jelly that he had put back. What's that enough jelly to do with? Like, what would you I'm do just with that say amount? Divorce. Divorce. <laughs> That's enough jelly That's to get a divorce. That's enough jelly
0: for a divorce, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> what the fuck? Listen, we love Matt. He doesn't waste any food. He doesn't. But... There's, there comes a time you got to start getting real. So he, what did he say? Did you send him that picture? Mm-hmm. And what was, what did he say?
1: No, in fact, I was in the room with him and I said, I'm adding this to my folder. Like I have a folder of pictures of things he's put back that I find offensive. I'm going to make him a calendar. I think this year <laughs> and each,
0: Wait, you, you said you weren't good at Christmas gifts? I think you just did it. I think you just fucking did it. That's the best Christmas gift. By the way, you have to order by December 15th. Oh, thanks for reminding me. Um, on Shutterfly. Holy shit, you have to make, that has to be your calendar for next year. And each month, just have it be one picture of used food. And it becomes, and also, it'll be a fun joke for you. And you can maybe put a picture of Matt in it.
1: No, I just want him to be reminded of what he's done.
0: That's so funny.
1: (laughs) I wonder if he'll think it's funny.
0: We'll see. It might be too soon. He's a sensitive soul. So true. But for you, it's like this thing that made me really angry. It's going to make me laugh now. Yeah. Which is like the best thing. That's what
1: I have to do with my anger. I have to turn it into something that makes me laugh. Take your
0: broken heart and turn it into art. Thank you. That's what um, Carrie Fisher said. I love that. Take your broken heart and make it into art. Turn it into art. Which is what we do with this podcast every fucking week. Yeah. Do you have any patrons to thank? Come on, guys. Get on board. Get on board. By the way, that review. So I woke up today, and the first thing I did was I look at my phone because I'm single, and I saw... A, I only got one text message, and it was from Quinn. Thank God. <laughs> thank God no man texted me. And um, it was a review that someone left, and it was so... Nice. And apparently Quinn's, uh, Quinn's, uh, peer pressure into joining Patreon worked.
1: Yeah, Lauren. Well, I'm, we're glad to have you. We're and, so glad uh, to have I'm you. I'm sorry I had to pressure you, but, um, you know, it's good for you and good for me. Um, and you know
0: what she said? She goes, she goes, I buy a cup of coffee while I listen to it. Why can't I give these girls something? And I'm like, I love that justification. We love to see it.
1: Yeah. Thank you for helping us make this podcast because we like making it and we like you. So let's, like, do it together, right?
0: Amen. It's my turn to tell a story. Fine.
1: Tell it tell so it out. I got you know this... what? Let's do a word from our sponsors first.
0: That's right. We should do that.
1: Birdie, you guys. Birdie envisions a world where women can be safe, where they can uh, walk down the street and just uh, do their thing. Not really worry about... Uh, Can I tell you something actually about
0: birdie? I was in Chicago with a friend and she had a really cute purple birdie. They didn't have that color when I bought mine or Mm -hmm. my mom bought me mine for Christmas. It was this really cute lavender birdie. And I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. Where'd you get it? She goes, my sister gave it to me. She goes, she had a really scary experience. This guy was fucking following her from the train, her sister. And she kept walking and this guy was still fucking following her. And she went up to this guy who was in her neighborhood who was like putting trash out. And she went up to him and she was like, can I please stand by you? There's a man following me. He was like, yes, come this way. After that happened to her, she bought a birdie and she bought one for her sister and she bought one for her whole family.
1: That's so smart. Get a birdie for yourself. Get a birdie for your friend. Get a birdie for your daughter and get a birdie for your son. I think like everybody can have a birdie. It's, I carry it's mine on gendered. my bike so that if something happens, I just pull it. So smart. It sets off a strobe light. It has like a really loud noise. It's just going to, even if you never use it, which hopefully you are never going to use it, um, except at a weird sound rave or something. But if, totally. If, I hope you don't have to use it, but you're going to feel better if you have it. So get one today and use the promo code TDC10. T-D-C-10.
0: You get 10% off. It's a no brainer. We love you. Stay safe and um, bye a birdie. Here we are, back again. It's my turn. And speaking of Patreon, one of the perks is you can pitch stories and we sort of like have to do them. No, I actually really wanted to do this one. This one's from Chloe. And I chose this because Chloe has like a personal connection to this story. I'm doing the story of the Peoria State Hospital. Amazing. So this is because it's from Chloe's hometown. So she has like a very personal relation to it, um, or very personal connection to it. I also got this information from Wikipedia, the Lineup Travel Channel, Illinois Haunted Houses, Atlas Obscura, wiki.ng, and Indiegogo. So this is the Peoria State Hospital, a.k.a. Bartonville State Hospital. Spoiler alert, it is in Bartonville, Illinois. Or the name it was originally given, which is the Illinois Asylum for the
1: Incurable Insane. It's a long name. It's a mouthful. I don't love it. They're, I have notes.
0: That's, wait a minute, that's why you don't like that? Yeah. Is because of just, it's too long? Yeah. Not the content.
1: No, 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 no. But the Fine, quantity. Cont- yes.
0: Mm-hmm. The issue is the quantity,
1: not the content.
0: For me, the issue is the content, right? The incurable insane, come on. <laughs>
1: come on, guys. Come on. That seems a
0: little uh, Debbie Downer. Totally. So it's built in 1902. It has, it first builds like this, big wing that they decide you know what that's actually like not what we want to use so it's this like weird main building but eventually they turn it into a cottage system which was pretty common for mental hospitals at the time um by the way this is a mental
1: facility mental
0: would i say mental hospital that yeah. makes sense why does that sound bad
1: uh, Mental hospital it, you're not saying loony bin, so I like. I think it's fine. <laughs> I think
0: we're okay. So it's a mental hospital. And so at the time, obviously mental health is like a really inexact science, right? But there's this guy that's like sort of leading the charge into creating this space. And his name is Dr. Zeller. So he's like the head doctor that I'm going to be referring to quite a bit. Initially, they built this like big building and they're like, ah, I don't know if I love this sort of layout. So we're going to do a cottage system, which again was pretty common in mental hospitals at the time. Um, And basically it was like there were 60, there ended up being 63 buildings Mm -hmm. in this area at this hospital. By 1927, there were in this hospital 2,650 residents. And at that time, about over 13,000 patients had entered and left the facility, right? So Mm -hmm. it's like, this is pretty a successful hospital at this time. I want to say by 1950s, there was 2,800 patients. That's like the peak. Patients there were people who they thought were, quote, incurable, which is like not a good situation. And Dr. Zeller even didn't believe in this incurable moniker, right? He believed in treating people with patience and kindness. He treated his patients with patience. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) But he really believed in kindness and thoughtful work. And he also believed that part of treatment should be giving responsibility and tasks to the patients. Mm-hmm. So he would have them take care of gardens and the lakes and apparently there was like a little zoo that people took care of. And also he forbid using restraints, which is obviously mm-hmm. just saying that feels really nice. Sounds like he was a seems like, like the right idea. Ahead of his time in some ways. <clears throat> so during this time and this was a common problem in a lot of Asylums, if you will, to borrow that term, is that residents would die and family would not claim them.
1: What, what would they do then?
0: So Potter's Field, as I talked about a couple weeks ago, it oh, definitely right. had a Potter's Field. But like I said, he liked the patients to work at this area. So there was a patient and um, his name was Manuel Bookbinder and they called him Old Book.
1: That's so cute.
0: And he was a patient and a caretaker, and he would also help on the burial core. So they had a burial core where they had patients and staff handle taking care of and disposing of the bodies and burying them. And this guy, Old Book, became like a beloved member of this team, so much so that every time he dug a grave for a patient that was to be buried in this one of four cemeteries that this place had... He would cry, he would mourn, he would grieve, he would attend all of the funerals, and he was just like a sweet, nice man. In fact, Chloe, her dad grew up blocks away from the hospital, and he says he remembers this guy and that he was really nice. Everybody knew Old Book, this guy, was just as sweet as could be. So Old Book ended up doing this until the day he died. And because he was a patient there, he ended up becoming a resident of the cemetery in which he worked. He was so beloved that the head doctor, Dr. Zeller, 100 nurses, 300 spectators, came to his funeral. They all were there to mourn him. And they looked over at this elm tree, and all of them saw a man crying that looked just like Old Book. Ugh. So much so that they opened the coffin to make sure his body was still in there.
1: Whoa. Seems like they could have reverse engineered that and just gone up to the guy crying. (laughs) simpler than trying to open that coffin, but But okay. But it's good for proof. You know, you got to do it. You got to do it. There's no other way. This
0: elm tree that they've seen Old Book at is called Wailing Elm, and it's the graveyard elm tree, and it's still there. In fact, at the time, they tried to chop it down, but they couldn't. Like, if there was a cut in it, they would hear it wail. If they tried to burn or have a fire near it, it would wail. When the tree was struck by lightning, I've read reports that they disposed of it, but I also, Chloe says it's still there. Whoa. So it's this tree that's become like a part of this space. Mm-hmm. Another famous patient there that I'm going to talk about is Rhoda Derry. Rhoda Derry is. Um, a really incredible case study of mental health in the late 1800s, early 1900s. So a little bit about her. She's born in Illinois in 1834, and as a teenager, she fell in love with this guy, Charles. He was a farm boy. They both loved each other. But her family, Rhoda's family, had this rumor that her grandmother was a witch. So Rhoda functioned like she was a leper a little bit in society, because people thought she was involved in witchcraft. So when she fell in love with this farm boy, Charles, her mo- his mother was like, fuck no, you're not going anywhere near that girl. She's into witchy shit. And then Nancy, this kid's mom, Charles' mom, confronts Rhoda about it because she hears that they're planning on running away and getting married. And you know what his mom says to her? She says, if you do that, I'm going to put a hex on
1: you. Whoa. She's into witchcraft? If you witchcraft? don't stay away from her son. Because I don't like witchcraft. Yes. So I don't like witchcraft. Yes. And if you do this, I'm going to put a hex on you. followed this
0: correctly. Maybe she was just trying to speak the language that she thought Rhoda knew. You know what I mean? Either way...
1: Lay really off Rhoda, That's so harsh. Lay off
0: her, and also like her poor grandmother. Like
1: her poor son. Her poor son it was in love. Was in love, and she was like, "Hand me that pitcher, farm boy." And he was like, As "Let's you get wish. hitched." As you wish. As you wish. Tell me you've seen *Princess, Princess Bride*, Bride or I'm going to throw you out the window. Have. All right, please don't throw me out this window. It's <laughs> too high.
0: So, at this point. People think it was Nancy Charles' mom who threatened the hex. People think that it was this threatening of a hex that Rhoda started spiraling. Hey. In a in not a not a great way. She heard voices. She claimed she saw the devil called Old Scratch. Old Scratch is her name for the devil. So she She's driven into madness. Now, on a
1: nickname basis. Now not good. this
0: is editorializing, and I don't want to speak out of turn, uh, but I will because I'm going to do it. But I'm I'm curious if this like there was some mental health stuff happening in the Derry family, and maybe that's what people were alluding to to her grandmother.
1: Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. feels like
0: Rhoda some, this set her off, and she went into a spiral. But also, she ended up being incredibly mistreated as she was spiraling out of control. She became violent towards herself and violent towards others. The most notable situation is when she saw Old Scratch. She was driven so mad that she physically scratched her eyes out so she could not see the devil anymore.
1: Oh my God.
0: This poor woman. This poor, poor woman. She was seen as a... Danger to herself and others. The one hospital she went to, they couldn't take control of her. They kicked her out. Her parents couldn't take care of her. They put her in an almshouse. The almshouse is where people would go. It was like a poor house where poor people would but typically a lot of people with mental health issues would go there. At the alms house, that's where she scratched her eyes out. And they ended up putting her in a box and covering it oh with a tarp God. so she couldn't hurt herself. And she was there for 40 years. In a box? In a box. Her legs atrophied so much that when she was released from the box, she couldn't walk anymore and had to walk with her hands.
1: Whoa. I know we still don't handle mental health stuff well in our society, but leaps and bounds above boxes, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She really, Rodaderi changed a lot of how we approach mental health because of her treatment,
1: wow. obviously. Okay.
0: So at the very end of her life, she moves to the Peoria State Hospital under the care of Dr. Zeller. And again, he believes in treating people with kindness and respect, that they had a really nice relationship. And she was able to walk, she was able to move freely about the grounds she died only a couple years later after she entered the Pure State office. but she ended up dying in 1906 at the mm-hmm. age of 71. Mm-hmm. But because of her, there was changes to the housing and treatment of many patients, and they closed many of those alms houses that she found herself in. The head doctor, after his experience, obviously, with Old Book and the many patients, he ended up writing a book, a memoir of sorts about it. And so he included the stories of old book and many other stories and some of them creepy. I do think it's important to note, I looked at one website and it was a comment. I think the website was Illinois haunted house. And someone had written that Dr. Zeller had been accused of abusing his patients. Mm -hmm. Like at one point, ramming railroad nails through people's feet as a cure, as a form of a cure, that was the only negative thing I could find from Dr. Zeller. It's pretty negative. It's I would an incredibly say, um, negative. It's a big count against you. I just wanted to include that to be like, I found all of this information about how he approached patients differently and how he, in fact, is the one who changed the name from the Illinois Asylum for the Incurable Insane he asked to change it to the Peoria State Hospital because he said no patient was incurable. Not if you've got a railroad spike on hand. Not if you've got a railroad spike. I don't know. It, this was literally one comment that was not substantiated that I can't adhere to, but I had to include it because I found it. Over in 1972, the total was like 600 patients. And the place closed in 1973. It's no longer in existence. It was auctioned off. The first buyer who bought it, though, filed bankruptcy, so that didn't work. Another guy got it, and he tried to turn it into offices, these, like, little cottages and turn them into offices in, like, an industrial park. That didn't work out. It became abandoned. Chloe's dad, our Patreon, as a teenager, he would sneak into this building in his hometown, which I did the same thing to an abandoned hospital in my hometown. This feels like a very teenage thing to do. I'll never forget being in a fucking suburban car, going to this hospital, giggling with a boy I had a crush on. And one night he was with his friend and they brought in a German shepherd dog with them and they were kind of like looking through rooms in like one of the buildings or whatever. And the dog went ahead of them and turned into a room. And all of a sudden they heard the dog yelp and just like book it out of there. And they followed him and they didn't look back. So the people who owned the hospital, then saw its potential to make money being a haunted attraction. And so they would, um, scary movies on the outside walls of the hospital, which actually sounds really fun to be honest, mm-hmm. like to go to a haunted hospital oh, yeah. and see some movies. But then someone took it a step further and they made it into a haunted house. Mm-hmm. So this a haunted house in it. Um, but people, this feels like based on what Chloe said, it's like her dad brought her there she went there. It became this like town folklore right. situation. Okay. One of the owners ended up getting a priest to come and bless the hospital. Ghost hunters came, and Chloe talked about when she was in high school. They came, and she was like, "It was all the rage in our town." It was like <laughs> totally. It was like we're famous now, baby. <laughs> Another story is people claim to drive past the space, the hospital, and see a woman in a white dress staring out the window like at the cemetery. And so just like a ethereal white dress woman and she wanders around. Some people talk about feeling really drawn to the cemetery, like there's like a pull to them. Um, people have taken photos of themselves at the cemetery or just the cemetery itself and they've seen outlines of people at the cemetery. Um, the cemetery is still there. The hospital has been torn down. But the cemetery all four of them are still there as well as the elm tree that old book was seen crying at as of 2019 only 12 of the buildings are left standing all are all of them are occupied um the majority of the headstones in the cemetery don't have names on them but rather numbers um chloe's dad when they would tour the cemetery he was like listen these numbers are the amount of experiments that they did on these patients.
1: Oh, stop! <laughs>
0: I love a dad. I love a dad story like that. I really do. Um, more than ten thousand patients died at the Peoria State Hospital, four cemeteries, and I'll leave this with Chloe's last last statement, which was. She would visit the hospital with her friends, and she even took her boyfriend there the first time he came to visit her hometown, which, by the way, sidebar, I would love that Bachelor episode where it's like, we're doing a hometown visit. Can you come see this haunted graveyard with me? Totally. I actually would love that. But she said she's not seen Old Book. She's not seen Manuel Bookbinder, but she would be delighted to make his acquaintance. Bookbinder,
1: you out there. Are you hurt? Fine. Fine. Pay Chloe Chloe a visit. pay, Pay Chloe a visit, please. Uh, in the middle of the night in her room, whatever is convenient.
0: I don't he's busy. He's attending that guard he's attending that cemetery. He's really doing Be it. Be careful what you wish. For, Chloe. So yeah, that's a story of the Peoria
1: State Hospital. Thank you for telling it, and thank you, Chloe. Thank you, Chloe, for that story. And now a word from our sponsor. Carrie. Quinlan, I want to tell you about hydronique hydration. Basically, what happened was that there was a frontline healthcare worker who was getting a bunch of headaches during the pandemic. And there was this research study that showed that up to 81% of frontline healthcare workers get new headaches, and it's because of their PPE. It's because of like the face masks and the shields. It prevents them from eating and drinking properly during their job. And everybody starts to feel like shit, like just tired, dehydrated. So the founder's like, okay, we need a really quick drink that has all the vitamins, the the minerals, no sugar, keto friendly, healthy, but everything on the market isn't what I want. So I'm going to create my own thing. And thus was born Hydronique Hydration. Remind me something. What
0: was your um, resolution this year? To drink more water. And so instead, I'm just going to
1: drink Hydronique Hydration.
0: Go ahead and get it. You can visit their website at www.hydroneekhydration.com, and I will spell that it's ww.h hydration.com or just search hydronique hydration on Amazon. And they are currently offering a $10 discount coupon at checkout for this next week. So we'll put the link in our bio. Go for it. Stay hydrated. Thank you to our frontline workers. We love supporting this work as well because of all the amazing work that you do for us. So com. get yours And we're back. How you feeling, Quinn? How's that day quill well, hitting you?
1: Give me a minute. All right. Look, I'm excited to tell this story because I'm going to tell you the story of the Pink Panthers. How fucking fun is Wait. that? Wait. Wait. Wait,
0: Pig Panthers? Pink Thank you. For some reason, I thought you said
1: pig panther. You know, pink panther. Your You're, you know what? You're stuffed up. Yep. The <laughs> pig panthers. A pig, tell you the I'll story. do this for you. Know, the pig panthers. The pig panthers. I got my info from um, a Guardian article that was great, a New Yorker, and then some smaller articles in Women Tell Foreign me Daily. no
0: Wikipedia. Tell me no
1: Wikipedia. Wikipedia, oh. Jeweler Magazine, New York Post, and then I watched um, a documentary this morning on Amazon that I think was called Oh, it had a cool name: Smash and Grab: The Story of the Pink Panthers. Cool name, right? Smash and Grab. Sure. Anyway. What the Pink Panthers are is an international jewel theft network, essentially. They're responsible for a bunch of robberies and thefts that are some of the craziest ones ever done in history. And the network is huge. And it's composed of all these members across the Balkan Peninsula. And they just are responsible for wild, wild shenanigans. Like, we're talking about, like, the highest profile cases of jewel theft in the world. There's like a ton of mystery surrounding the organization, but I heard that there's as many as possibly 800 core members. And a lot of them used to be military and have military backgrounds or training. But it's super international. They come from all over, mainly Serbia and Montenegrin and other former Yugoslavia state citizens, basically, that have become Pink Panthers. What happened was a lot of them got into it because after the Bosnian War, they had nothing. Right. And they were locked out of trade and all that. So they there were no jobs where they could legitimately make a living. So you start to do things like... I don't know. Petty illegally fine. bring in jackets, yeah. and illegally bring in milk, and then illegally bring in firearms, and then illegally bring in drugs. And you're sort of like you're into. You're saying that bringing in coats illegally is a gateway. Yeah, don't. crime. As soon as you do the jacket, <laughs> bringing in milk. And the I'm milk, sorry,
0: bringing in milk tell you is a gateway next. crime, and then you're eventually you're going to start smuggling
1: jewels. Yeah. Okay. It, so in 1992, like the UN sanctions against Yugoslavia was what sort of prompts? The Pink Panthers to form. You know what I mean? Oh, dang, like industries yeah. in Serbia. It becomes collapse. it becomes
0: like um a survival thing, and then it kind of Completely. becomes its own monster. Totally. Okay.
1: Um. But they also have a lot of allies. Like I said, it's this whole network. So, name a mafia: Serbian mafia, Russian mafia, Italian mafia, Ukrainian. They're all into this. Into it. They're all well. They they have ties with all of them. Let's right. say. They have committed more than 340 armed robberies around the world, everywhere. Some law enforcement agencies put their take at over five mil- 500 million. Okay. It's probably more than that. It has to be. They steal golden diamonds everywhere from I was to say,
0: they steal golden diamonds like it's their job. And frankly, it is. It actually is.
1: And they're what you would picture. Like, they're glamorous, and they're cool, and they wear leather. You know what I mean? Like, the people that are doing this look good doing it, and they're super into no-violence rules, you know?
0: Oh, good. Okay, I can
1: get on board They have guns, but they don't shoot them. Oh, good. They just point them at you and scare the hell out of you and then take your jewels. And that's different. Um, they set up in ways where they know usually in advance who's gonna buy what and for how much, and then after they rob a place they pass the goods on to a prearranged contact who then takes them across a border to buyers. Usually the buyers are in Antwerp. And then they give it to a fence, which is somebody that cleans the diamonds, so uh, somehow legalizes them, makes them... Yeah. Does that make sense? So they can't be traced back to them. Right. And diamonds
0: are... It's like if I was thinking of oceans... 11 starring Rihanna. Go on. It's Mindy Kaling's job. Right. At the Met Gala. She like goes and she takes the necklace apart and puts it in smaller pieces so that people can... Indeed.
1: Okay. So, you know, if you're wearing a diamond ring listening to this right now, it could be a Pink Panther diamond. You don't fucking know is what's cool. Fun. And also, I like to think it good is. good for
0: you for having a diamond. Fun. How does it feel? Good for
1: you. Yeah. How does that feel? <laughs> the Pink Panthers get... I don't know, 15 to 30% on that take, depending, pretty much. Right. They know as long as they get back home, they're going to be safe. Home being like a Balkan country. Because it's corrupt there. Right. They're not going to hand them over. They're protected. Um, The officials are just as corrupt. Right. Okay, so... There's an inner circle who've been doing this a really long time, and they call each other family. So th- it's got this mafia kind of feel. Totally. But at the same time, there are guys that do not know who their bosses are, do not know who their associates are. So there's still a lot of secrecy involved, too. Honestly, I actually think you and I should apply, because when I was reading about them in The Guardian...
0: he's so unsuspecting.
1: Yes. And you know what the guy said... Uh, we're looking for a true crime comedy podcast. Oh, yes, that's that was one of the... Yeah.
0: <laughs> Do you th- here's the thing, though. If we were on that, you know we would talk about it on this podcast.
1: Yeah, that would probably be, prob- that'd be <laughs> problematic no, for them.
0: We can't keep this. You told me as soon as you found out you were pregnant. We can't
1: keep secrets. <laughs> the standards are also really high. He said that women in the Panthers have to be exceptional. We have high requirements of them because they have the leading roles. But you can only have one woman in each gang and she has to be ready for this. She has to be intelligent. Check. Check. She has to be beautiful. Check, check. Check, check. She has to love money very much. Check, check,
0: check, (laughs) check, check. check, It's ours.
1: (laughs) It was cool because they interview them in... The Guardian and The New Yorker and in the film. So you get to kind of, th- their identities are protected. But um, one Why? of the women they, oh, I know, it's so weird. <laughs> one of the women they interview that calls herself Layla, she's like glamorous. And she talks about how her job was, as it, a lot of the women's jobs would be to go into the store and act like a super rich client and case the place out and have them do something that took time. She talked about how she gave them a ring and said she needed it resized. And then she's looking, 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 doing like a mental map of exactly how the store is laid out and trying to get an eye on what they call the kitten. The kitten is the safe. Sometimes you don't end up knowing where the kitten is, but that's going to be where the most valuable things are. But you still, when you leave the store and you go back to the headquarters burglary layer, yeah uh, you are basically like here's what I saw and somebody sketches a blueprint so you're trying to be centimeter perfect because if you fuck up it could be someone's life when they go in there it could be whether or not they get out on time you need to have the layout down perfect and one thing I love that she said was not anyone can do this job you must be born to do it the guys do the majority of the job but they need a woman on their team without a woman, nothing can be done. That a girl. Amen, Layla. I bet her, like,
0: depth perception is so fucking good.
1: Oh, totally. And she talks about how she was constantly for protection having to get makeovers, like, new hair, new look, all the time. And the woman interviewing her was like, was that fun? And she's like, no, I felt like a doll being experimented on. It was not fun and it fucked with my identity. And I hated it. And you're like, oh, interesting.
0: That would suck. Just thinking about that, that would suck.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I never go get, like, even a haircut. So I was like, Um, you kind of like it a couple of times. Exactly. I think that's case in point. Um, The robberies um, are pretty crazy and, like, even bordering on, like, cartoonish in some of the strategies. I read that before robbing a jewelry store, one of the gang's painted a bench next to it so that it would have wet paint just to dissuade passerbys from sitting. They just wanted to avoid more eyewitnesses. So smart. Yeah, but like, isn't that cool? Yeah. They're masters of disguise. They wear... A lot of times they commit their crimes wearing what you're picturing, like all black with like a black face mask, but a lot of times they wear... They dress as Hawaiian tourists. They've dressed as workmen. They've dressed as golfers. They have tons of wigs, which I love. Um, with the right wig, you can do anything, I always say. They did a robbery in December of 2008, and they, the men dressed up as women and broke into Harry Winston Jewelers in Paris. And then when they left, they left on speedboats. they use all different kinds of transportation
0: so there's like no sort of like MO it's just kind of like they'd go randomness and whatever works wow
1: totally there was a robbery they did in 2004 in Japan it was the greatest robbery ever done in the history of Japan Um, it was a woman from Serbia two Serbian men and I think a woman from Scotland and they stole the Comtesse de Vendome necklace which sounds very fancy They arrive like a month before they're going to do the robbery to start working, to start casing things out. And they book a hotel, they buy new cell phones, like everyone has their own cell phone. And one of the guys speaking in accented English comes in and asks a clerk to go up to the third floor where this necklace is in a display case. And he's like, oh, it's so beautiful. I'm just going to snap a few pictures. And then a few days later, he comes back with a woman pretending they're a couple. And they buy, like, some weird... They're casing out the store again. And they buy weird stuff, like a fucking, like, decorative spoon. Whatever. They're trying to be cool. Then the day the robbery is going to happen, the two guys go in to rob the necklace. And the women sit across the street. And they're sort of just being lookouts. Mm Mm-hmm. The men walk in wearing wigs and cart. They have like Cartier bags. They're basically dressed like, hey, we're rich douchebags that are coming in to look at diamonds. They get escorted upstairs to wear
0: the necklaces.
1: And the clerk, they're taking pictures to kind of maybe throw him off his game. And they're talking really fast and being like, perfect. Great, great, great. Then they get close to the necklace. One of them pulls out a piece of paper. To show the clerk, the clerk goes to look at the paper, and when he looks down, he gets punched in the face. Wait, I thought they, sp- they weren't violent. This one was a little bit violent. Okay. It is. So they punch him, pepper spray him, push him into a bathroom, shut the door. So his first order of business, as he hears glass breaking and stuff, is he just has to wash his fucking face in the bathroom. Like, they put him in there to be like, fix your problem. <laughs> here's a problem, fix it. So he's washing out his eyes. And when he comes out, of course, they're fucking gone. He calls the police. People that did this do end up getting arrested. And fun fact, I don't know whether this was true or not, but they're like, actually, in this case, the person that hired us to do this gave us $100,000. And it's the owner of this store. And he wanted the insurance. And I don't know whether that's true or not, but I do know that that store was having financial issues and did declare bankruptcy. So, who knows?
0: Interesting. Interesting. The necklace, though?
1: Gone. Never recovered. Never recovered. Old lady on the Titanic, we're looking at you. Come back! Come back! Come back! Dubai? They did this crazy ass thing in Dubai. So I guess whenever they have to do getaway car stuff, they always drive Audis. It's like so snobby. It's just snobby, a good thing. Yeah. Well, you know what? I think it's that they uh, don't want to learn a new car. They always want to drive the same model car when they're messing with this. That kind of makes sense.
0: Yeah. Listen, if it's worked this far, thus far. Yeah. If it ain't so broke, don't fix it.
1: In 2008, they robbed a Graff Jewelers in Dubai, like in a mall. And this is so crazy. It's eight of them in two different Audis. And they drive into the mall in the Audis. Breaking through the mall doors. And then breaking through the jewelry front.
0: And they get out?
1: Yeah. Oh, oh my God. They did it like at the end of rush hour in a way where they knew when they left, they would have clear roads. And the cops coming wouldn't. Like, they'd be hitting traffic. They also reverse-ram the car so that the airbags won't go off. And then there's video of this. You can totally watch this robbery online because it's in a mall. So, of course, there was all the the cameras. There are people filming it, but there's also cameras everywhere. Whoa. So, when they drove out of there, they drive into the desert. And then, like, fucking rock stars, they get out of the Audis and just light them on fire. And then get in a getaway car. But they made a crazy mistake, which was that one of the cars, they didn't roll down any of the windows. And fire needs oxygen. Mm-hmm. So one of the cars is actually in like pretty good shape. And they can get a lot of DNA evidence and stuff like that from that car. So with the help of that DNA, they traced it and a bunch of people were arrested, including this guy who has the best name, Dusko Poznan.
0: Do you like Because it? it's a little bit like yes. Cosner. Yeah.
1: Uh-huh. Mm.
0: that makes sense?
1: Narcissist. But they were both already wanted for heist, the people that they're arresting. Yeah, they're like, they're huh, like oh. how
0: are we going to pin this?
1: And they're like, no, you do this.
0: <laughs> this is something you do.
1: I know I'm not going in order, but I do want to tell you about this 2003 robbery because it's their namesake robbery. Um, Pink Panther? Yeah. I'll explain. So, Predrag Vujesovic Milan Jovatech Nabosha Dinek whatever I'm trying you guys it's three men they meet up in West London they buy a used Vespa and they start casing the flagship graph store mm-hmm. and they walk in posing as a customer wearing a suit carrying an umbrella <laughs> the guy that does this also wears a wig and it's like a pompadour. <laughs> when it looks like an Elvis wig. But they think that he must be like a rock star or famous person purposely disguising himself. Do you know what I mean? Wow. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For but sure. he looks
1: ridiculous, I guess. Danik asks to examine um a diamond ring and says, it's too glamorous. Do you have a smaller one? Which is what a rich person would say, right? I like the acting in this. It's too glamorous. Then he pulls out his magnum, and he's like, everyone on the floor. Vujosevic has just come into the store, smashes a bunch of display cases with a hammer, starts just filling it with jewelry, and then they run out the door. A security guard runs after them and tries to wrestle away their gun. It goes off. The bullet bounces off an air conditioner and grazes the nose, like this, of a woman walking by.
0: Oh, poor thing.
1: And then All of that that I just listed goes down in less than three minutes. minutes. The jewelry one I told you about in Dubai, when they run into a mall with cars, 170 seconds. The whole damn thing with the robbery. Isn't that nuts? I mean, these guys are really professionals. Like, it might sound crazy because I'm like, he's wearing an Elvis wig and he shoots the tip of a woman's nose off. It sounds disorganized, but really to... Do all that in, in such so a... quick. I mean, it's fast. They really planned this shit. They made off with um, more than $30 million worth of diamonds. It was Okay, the if
0: they've biggest... done 340 heists, and they're, they're saying only 500000000 million, they've got to be Well, more. I'm telling
1: you some of the more high-profile ones. This was the biggest heist that ever happened in British history. The biggest jewel heist. Whoa. Yeah. <sighs> so then the Scotland Yard detectives come, and they... <laughs> Denik has been subdued and he's lying on the ground and they talked about how funny it was because he looked like he had a cat lying on his head because of how crazy (laughs) the wig is.
0: It reminds me of like Despicable Me with his wig. It's just like
1: So it takes them a couple days but they're able to figure out who the accomplices are and they find the accomplice uh, Milan Jovatek his flat and they tap the phones they get a warrant to search it they work really stealthily to my uh-huh. hand during the search a detective finds a jar of face cream in the bathroom and he puts his hand in the cream I don't know why you would think to fucking do this and feels something hard in there and it's a giant blue diamond ring it was worth $750,000 uh, that happens in the movie The Return of the Pink Panther Whoa. so that's why they name them pink panther in 2003
0: oh because pink panther came out in the 50s like the
1: pink panther cartoon it's yeah early early but they name it they're doing a goof on they they, whether they mean to or not that is a technique that happens in the pink panther so that's why they're named the pink panther thieves. So then they call them the pink panther thieves whatever after that so funny then there's all this speculation as to whenever there's a heist or a jewel is it the Pink Pink Panthers in August 2009 there's a Graff Diamonds that's robbed in London and the robbers don't disguise themselves and they're like these were the Pink Panthers and they were probably not having to wear disguises because they have prosthetics on because that's the kind of shit they would do isn't that crazy wow yeah
0: I want to know who their, like, SFX, their special effects makeup artist is.
1: Totally. They definitely have one. They've got so many different people working for them. The Guardian, the person that wrote the Guardian article ends up interviewing a guy who was an alarms and electric specialist for them. And he was talking about the kind of no victims Robin Hood ideology behind the group. Mm-hmm. And he said, we scare people, but we do not hurt them. We only take expensive things from rich people. And he keeps kind of calling it victimless, which is interesting. Um, in the movie, they also interview, um, maybe it's the same guy. Cause I don't get the feeling a lot of people are willing to talk. They interview a guy in the film that talks about breaking in to a jewelry store and how, they couldn't get the safe open. So they pried it up and took it with them. And then they were trying to get it open for days. And they finally did. he was like, there was so much good shit in there. So much shit. And he's like, you know what else though? There was a fake penis. I think you, in America, you call it a, a dildo. I bet they didn't report that missing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. They also talk about why they steal diamonds. And like you were saying, it's because it's harder to trace. Um, he was like, and you can turn diamonds into anything. You can leave with a tiny bag of diamonds and you can turn that into a speedboat filled with cocaine. That's what he said. <laughs> you're like, oh, that's wow. Okay. We I know mean, what you're going You could into. also turn
0: a bunch of money and you could also turn that into a speedboat with a bunch of cocaine. I don't know if that's like diamond exclusive, but okay.
1: <laughs> um, in the New Yorker. They also are able to meet with someone in Montenegro and interview them that worked for the Pink Panthers. And that's incredible. setting up the interview. So interesting, right? Because they call and they say, like, here are the rules. Um, You can't bring a tape recorder. You can't bring your phone. You have to get dropped off on a mountain road and then we'll pick you up and drive you to a town to meet me. And you have to wear loose fitting clothing. You're going to be searched. And then at the end of the interview, you can get your phone back. I don't know. It seemed really scary. Or to the driver, he's like, if I don't come back in two hours. And you're like, what are you doing?
0: That guy doesn't have wife and kids. Or maybe they do, and they're like, just got a crazy life insurance policy. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, do you think a life insurance would cover this guy? Like, do you think
1: undercover reporters, what What, is their premium on their life insurance? Do you know what I mean? Totally. So that he meets this person that calls himself Novak, that speaks Russian, Italian, French, German, and Czech, and English in Serbo-creation. Pretty bright. Bright guy. His first Pink Panther assignment was to be the getaway driver at a jewelry store robbery in Paris. And he talks about how there's a centralized system for picking targets and assigning crews to jobs, and that there's four main Panther groups. Um, This is
0: crazy. This is like a shift... And a restaurant where it's like, this is like a
1: really good group for this... Like, wow, they're like casting. Well, and speaking of that, they're at a restaurant when they're having this conversation. And every time Novak takes a sip of beer, he takes it by wrapping the napkin around the beer, sipping it, and then cleaning the rim.
0: So no DNA and no fingerprints. But it's like he's doing it
1: almost mindlessly. Do you know what I mean? Like, that must be his life. mostly these guys talk about how they fear other gangsters yeah. more than they're afraid of law the police or yeah. law enforcement and it was interesting because in the movie you get visuals that you don't get from reading these articles one of the detectives that's talking about searching for the pink panthers he's get, being interviewed and in the background there's a pink panther like carnival sized stuffed animal in a noose in his office crazy right but really, they say that in 2007, years after they've been doing this, was sort of the first push to to do something. And Interpol started getting organized, and they were like, we're going to do Project Pink Panther. We're going to find these guys. Right. Um, Montenegro also used to be really safe for them, right? And they'd be able to flee to there. But now they want to be part of the EU, so they're extraditing people. So it becomes like there is nowhere to hide. Um, also the police start to know their tactics better, even though their tactics are pretty, pretty wild, random. but they're able to like pinpoint. I mean, they're, they're using the same car. The guy in the movie they're interviewing is like, oh, I carry pills on me just in case. How dark is that? To like kill himself Unless in these. case. What else would it be? It's not day quill. <laughs> I carry day I
0: carry baby aspirin just in case really I get bad. a heart attack. I just always to have like a little baby aspirin.
1: <laughs> but The Panthers don't stop, and they even expand. By two thousand eight, they're like, forget just jewelry, and they target a museum in Switzerland, and they do a crazy art heist. They get Monet, they get a Van Gogh, they get a Degas, and it's worth hundreds and hundreds of millions. Whoa! And then after that, though, basically after about two thousand eight, they go disappear. quiet. Quiet five years. I think that maybe it was because there were so many arrests right around then that they, but they were, were like, like we gotta, getting, we're
0: getting hot. They're getting onto to us. Also,
1: like, how much more? 189 Panthers were arrested.
0: But also at that point, you're like, how much more money do you need? Like, really, is the question.
1: Well, I think they're really reckless with how they spend their money. I think, I don't think it's like, and now I can put a down payment. I mean, I think it's a different lifestyle. Yeah. So 2007 to 2013, 189 Panthers get arrested. And one of the guys being interviewed says, look, kind of my generation really did quiet down after that. We were kind of tried to go clean. Yeah. But that's not so great because my generation was the one that was military trained and kind of knew what we were doing. This new generation is kind of sloppy. Yeah. And they do have their first shooting. And a policeman was wounded. Nobody dies, but a policeman was wounded in a chase in Greece. Two men and a woman had been trying to break into a jewelry store, but they were wearing wigs, casing it out. And they had a they, them in. the police were like, That's weird that you're wearing these wigs and looking into this store. And so they tried to question them, like stop them. And in the getaway, they ended up shooting toward a police men. And he was wounded. Fun fact about that. The, one of the women used to be a national basketball player, ends up getting arrested, ends up breaking out of prison and has this nickname, the dragon woman. And the way she broke out of prison, she asks one of the guards to help get paints from somebody that was bringing them to her. And when he unlocks the door, the visitor actually, uh, hits him on the head and then they jump on a motorcycle and leave. And that was the first escape ever done from that Greek prison. She was caught. Then her sentence was commuted. And she wrote a book about her life. I mean, she's fascinating. Whoa. Also, who's delivering paints in prison? Who's Just, painting gotta, her cell? What else do you? No, I think it's like watercolor. I think it's like hobbies. I okay. think it's like, I got to get my paint on. I'm so bored. Nail polish. <laughs> <It's> nail polish. <laughs> <laughs> it was the glitter glue.
0: careful, gotta use it, otherwise it's gonna harden.
1: We know from experience. So, it's a five year hiatus and when the film was made that I was watching they're kind of like, the Panthers are done. And this woman was like, don't say that they're done. We don't know what's to come. And sure enough, let me just tell you after those five years what has happened in 2018. In January, five Pink Panthers broke into a jewelry store inside the Paris Ritz with axes and guns and they did um they smashed everything and got like 4.5 million in euro worth of jewels wow. but they set off an alarm and it did that thing where it locked them in
0: oh guys but
1: one of the outside getaway people ran up and threw the like bars they were able to pass the bounty. So even though they got caught, the they jewels just... got away on a scooter. Whoa. There was an exhibition at the Doge's palace in Venice, Italy. Um, and five men stole millions of jewelry that were owned by um, a member of the Qatari Royal family. They were arrested in August at the Stragnas Cathedral Thieves stole um, some artifacts of the Swedish monarchy, like some crowns and a fucking old-ass orb, and they got away on a speedboat. And in November of what? 2018, Pink Panthers stole a a tiara that was super historical. All I'm saying is it's still going on. They're stealing stuff. and. They've got to kind of get it while the getting's good because of blockchain, which is going to make it where everything is traceable, like in terms of stones. Yeah. They're trying to do that right now. That's like blockchain is happening. They're trying to put blockchain in diamonds? Uh-huh. They want all diamonds to have paperwork, basically. I don't totally understand blockchain, <coughs> if I'm honest. Let's look it up. But just I'm say i say diamond blockchain.
0: That's insane.
1: Blockchain. That's wild. Okay. Blockchain technology is a tool for identifying where they come from and tracking their path from source to destination.
0: So okay, so they can't clean them, right? You have you will have to have documentation. It and if you like steal it. Ca- you- it
1: would turn it into cash where you'd be able to be like, there's a serial number associated with this diamond and it was stolen. Totally. So if you do that, they gotta just get it while the getting's good. I don't know. I don't know what will happen to the black market. I don't. There will totally... be a black
0: market of diamonds. Though. Are you kidding? God, there's always a market for that shit.
1: Data points for more than 1.6 million diamonds are stored on blockchain today. So I think they're just trying to make blockchain. Well, then I wonder expand. if you could.
0: I do think that there is. I mean, the the val the perk of that is to know that you're not having a blood diamond, right? I mean, like that would right. be. Good to know.
1: Right. Wow. Well, and so that's the story of the Pink Panthers. Dinner, 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 dunna, dunna. Wow. Kind of fun, though, right? Really
0: fun, but only 340 members. I feel like there seems to be. 800, I said. Oh, I thought you said 340. 800 members
1: yeah, around at least. the world at least. I mean I
0: guess that is a lot of money to split. There's a lot of people to split your profits and people are probably
1: going to be paid different amounts. I said 340 robberies. 340 robberies, 800 members. It feels like it feels like a proper it's business. A network. It's a proper business, but um it's doing illegal stuff. It's a proper business doing illegal stuff. Yeah.
0: Wild. Wasn't John Cleese Pink Panther?
1: Yeah, but what is that? Yeah, it's it's a comedy about um a cat burglar. There it is. So fun. I haven't seen Pink Panther, but this made me I want neither.
0: to. <laughs> I mean, I when you were starting to talk about, I was like, is this what it's based on?
1: No. Because of that crime, they named them the in 2003. Pink Panther. Okay. okay. Fun. It's a really fun, whimsical name for, for a very a group that serious kind of commits crimes in a weird, whimsical way at times. You I do. Mean, I don't know how you find those stories of the whimsical heists, but I really like them. Thanks. I really like Thank them. You. I do too. Um, and it makes me, it, I think it's like, I, I'm i not afraid to admit that I totally fetishized that kind of stuff as a kid. Oh, speaking of childhood crushes, really high up there was the fox in Robin Hood. There's like a <laughs> Disney Robin Hood where Robin Hood is a fox. And I was like, this guy's hot. And he robs from the rich You're and gives to the poor. you were into animals. He was huh? a jewel thief though. You were into animals. Well, that's what I was exposed to. Rats and yeah, I wasn't watching a lot of live m- movies with. Action. If I had to think of what if that first was like my human first, crush? what if I said
0: my first human crush? Was the penguin from Batman?
1: It's <laughs> oh, horrified. <laughs> Mine was Jeff Goldblum <gasps> in Three Little Pigs, playing the big bad wolf. Fairy tale theater, Three Little Pigs.
0: My little nephew loves the big bad wolf right now. Yeah, big bad wolf, so big bad wolf. That's really cute. I mean, I think it was Casper, and then Devin Salwa, who was Casper. That has to be up there in crushes when I was a kid. And then also now and then there were a lot of crushes there. Devin Salwa was in it.
1: I don't know who this person is that you look up Devin
0: Salwa. Devin what? D e v o n Uh s a l w a, and look up cat. Just type Casper. Oh, okay. Not into him? No well he's a child now and you're an adult so it feels like maybe <laughs> that it's feels good right. he's actually really good that
1: you're not <laughs> I passed the test
0: oh dear readers hey um, love you guys love you guys we'll see you next week or talk to you next week um, like subscribe join Patreon tell your friends
1: succinct man
0: right we're getting better at low.
1: that do you want a burrito I think so okay <laughs>
0: Bye, dear readers.